Today I want to talk about Sunday morning at the Bridge Church. Sunday morning at the Bridge Church. And more specifically, I want to talk to you about the why behind the what. And this is a little different kind of message. We're going to start in Hebrews chapter 10 in just a moment here. It's a different kind of message because on Sunday morning here at the Bridge Church, we have a little bit of a structured format, as all churches do. Uh, you drive onto this property on Sunday morning, like me, even early in the morning. The worship team is already here re rehearsing and preparing for the service. In the parking lot, there's a team already setting up signs and, and traffic cones, and there are people out there giving directions, helping you find a place to park. You walk into the building, there are greeters there with a smile on their face, or at least they're supposed to have smiles on their faces. Then you walk through the doors and they welcome you and just let you know we're glad you're here. We got a great coffee shop. We have great food in the coffee shop. We've got ushers to serve you to help, help you find seats and anything you need. We've got children's ministry with lots of people who love kids. How many of you don't love kids? Uh, you, it's, it's okay to raise your hand. One, I have one honest person in the house. Uh, we don't want you working with children's ministry, by the way. Uh, we got a great children's ministry. We got Bridge Youth normally out of service, but in service today. After service, we got community, or after first service, community care going on in the back, giving away food and clothing to people in need. I mean, it's just a lot of stuff happens here. And if you've been at the, ch at the church here for two, three, or four times, you kind of understand what we do. Now, each Sunday is a little different, but we have a couple of basic format order of services we go with. But the point I want to make is this. If you've been here a few times or if you've been here for years, you know what we do. But I think sometimes we lose sight of why we do what we do. I want to talk to you about why we do what we do. Uh, at the Bridge Church, you know, Hebrews chapter 10, this will explain why we do what we do, at least in the beginning. Look at Hebrews 10, verse number 24. If you don't have a Bible, we'll have the verses on the screen. Hebrews 10, 24. Now, in the writing here, the writer is talking about us really anchoring our faith to God and holding fast to our profession of faith and being strong and trusting God. But he goes in verse 24, tying to that and says, and, which is a conjunction with types the thoughts together, while you're anchoring your faith to God, he says, let us consider one another. Pause here for just a moment. Let us consider one another. As we set the stage for Sunday morning here at the Bridge Church, as pastors, our first and foremost thought is, let's set the stage for other people. Let us consider one another. Let us consider people who walk into these doors today from all different backgrounds, all different walks of life. Let's put ourselves in their shoes and let's prepare a worship service where those people can enter in and be involved. Now notice what he says. Let us consider one another. I want to ask you to do something this morning. I want you to consider the people around you. We come to church and it's all about me and Jesus, me and Jesus, me and Jesus. Sometimes it's just all about me and me, but it's supposed to be about me and Jesus. But today I want you to understand what the writer is saying here. Let us consider one another. Real quickly, just kind of look around you, everybody around you. I don't make eye contact. I know that's, 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 that's threatening for some of you. But just look around you. Let us consider the fact that there are other people here in the building today 
who are not only looking to God for help, but who just might be looking to me for help. He says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. One of the most important things that happens at the Bridge Church on Sunday morning is people are ministering to people. You know why I want you to be here every Sunday morning at the Bridge Church? Because you have something to give that somebody else needs. It's not just that you are going to receive something. You are. If you come with an open heart, you will receive something. But the flip side of that is you also have something that God has put in you that you need to share with somebody else. And we create an atmosphere to consider one another. Now look at the next verse. He continues with the thought, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. He said, let's not forsake going to an organized church service. And I don't mean to pick on those of you who are watching online this morning, but if you're not sick, if you don't have a really good reason, you ought to be here today, okay? Because somebody here is going to miss what they need because you're not here today. Now, now look at this. That's enough said. Don't get mad at me, okay? Write me nasty emails or anything. But he says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. That means encouraging one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. And the word day is capitalized because it's referring to the day of the Lord. The day when God takes total control of everything. We stand before him and give an account for our lives. The writer here says as you get closer to that day, you need to be more involved in God's house. It's interesting wording. Now, why am I sharing all of this? Because everything we do at the Bridge Church revolves around two things, connecting people with God and connecting people with people. He says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Can I say thank you so much for being here today and not forsaking God's house on Sunday morning? I mean, here on Sunday mornings, we're kind of setting the stage. We serve, we visit, we share life, we encourage each other, we drink great coffee I mean, the bean coffee grinders, it is the best. We have great coffee here at the bridge. And then we connect with each other. And you know what? Just those of you who are wondering, I have to pay for my coffee too. Some are saying, well, yeah, he's saying that because he gets free coffee. No, I don't. I pay for my coffee too. Okay? So having said all that, if you've been here a few times, you know that there are things that we regularly do on Sunday mornings. You know what we do. Today I want to spend the next few minutes and talk to you about five things we regularly do, but I don't want to talk about what we do, I want to talk about why we do these things, okay? Number one, the first what is we worship God. We worship God. Every Sunday morning we open our service and we worship God. Psalms 145 verse 3 says, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable you will never be able to describe all the greatness of god you will probably never experience all the greatness of god in this lifetime but the part i want you to notice is the psalmist says great is the lord how many in this house would just do a, a hand raise or an amen or a bobblehead say great is the lord god is great how many would say that today but how many of us can go to church on sunday morning and never declare ourselves he's greatly to be praised 
See, on Sunday morning, we open up our service, and you know, there's a lot of confusion about this among people, especially if you're new to church life. People say, well, I go to church on Sunday morning, you know, service starts at 9.30 and 11.30. I go to this service, and you know, uh, service starts at a certain time, but you know, I don't always get there on time. It's not a big deal, because really, they just have singing for a while to, to, to do something until everybody gets there. I met a pastor years ago from Australia, and he told a story in his church. He was a very progressive, progressive pastor back in the day, and he was one of the first pastors to have cup holders on the chairs, and people could come get their coffee and come in. He said one Sunday morning he's preaching away, and he looks down, and right down on one of the front rows, there's a guy sitting there with a can of beer in his service. <laughs> he said, I thought, wow, that's interesting. So he said, when service is over, I got to the back because I wanted to meet this guy. He said, this guy walks out with his can of beer in his hand, shakes his hand, and the pastor says, hey, thanks for being here today. And the guy says, yeah, man, I really enjoyed your talk. And the pastor said, did you enjoy the service? He said, yeah, I really like the karaoke part. <laughs> well, can I tell you, when we start service here on Sunday mornings, whether it's 9.30 or 11.30, we don't gather for karaoke. The purpose of that part of the service is to praise God and to worship God. It's for us to join together and lift our voices and say, Great is the Lord and He's greatly to be praised. That's the purpose of that part of our service. And you know, real quickly, praise and worship are two different things. We lump them together. Praise is always some kind of physical expression that thanks God for what He's done. Remember that. Praise is always a physical expression. It may be singing. It may be lifting your hands or just lifting your voice and audibly praising God. It may be clapping your hands. It may be shouting. It can even be dancing for those of you who can do that. You know, Whatever expression it is, praise, scripture, is always a physical expression of thanks to God for what he's done. But worship is different. Worship, it usually gets a little slower, and we stop and we bow our hearts before God, not for what he's done, but for who he is. Honoring him as the God who created everything. Honoring him as the one who sent his son to redeem us. Honoring God for who he is and what he is. So we have praise and we have worship every Sunday morning here. And here's what I've come to realize, and I've got to tell you guys this. As, as a pastor, I have my priority, which I'll get to in a few minutes. But as a believer like you, Praise and worship is my favorite part of the service. Because amazing things happen in my heart, in my life when I'm worshiping God. I love that time that we set aside on Sunday morning where all we do is focus on God and tell Him how great He is and how honored I am to be His son and be surrendered to Him. I mean, some of you may not know it, you may not see me, but I'm down front, i got my hands in, my, in the air, I'm clapping, I'm singing, I've got my words coming out of my mouth. I'm thanking God because He's great and I want to praise Him in a big way. Because that's what that time is for. And, and here's, here's the best way I know to describe it. That first part of service, it's not my time. That's his time. It's not our time to check in our kids. It's not our time to go get a cup of coffee. And it's, please don't, I'm not beating anybody up, but hear me. That time of the service, 15 to 20 minutes carved out of a week is when we gather together and we honor God for his greatness. That's his time. We don't need distractions. We don't need other things. We need to honor our God. You know, why would we call it a time of worship if we don't worship? 
Why would we call it a worship service if we don't have worship in there somewhere? I love that part of service. And you know, there's another side of this. Did you know God responds to your worship? Did you know that? God responds to your worship. Psalms 22 says that the Lord inhabits the praise of his people. Jesus said it this way. He said, if just two or three are gathered in my name, I will be there in their midst. When you get together and you honor my name, I show up. Psalms 22 says God shows up when his people corporately begin to praise him. And what it literally says in Psalms 22, it says God is enthroned on the praises of his people. Now, think of it this way. We just said God is great. God is big. God is awesome. He's amazing. Well, don't you think an amazing God deserves an amazing throne to sit on? How can I go to church and say, well, I'm going to build God a little ottoman to sit on? Hope he doesn't get tired sitting there with no back support. No, when I come to church, I want to be part of a group of people who are building a big throne for a big God. I want to praise him in a way that he's worthy. I want to praise him in a manner that he comes down and says, wow, you think I'm that big? Okay, let me show you how big I really am. I want God to continually surprise us with great things. And I believe that happens when a group of people get together and they honor God for who he is and what he is and they build him a big throne. I'm going to tell you something. If you'll build God a big throne of praise, he'll show up in a big way in your life. He will do it because our praise becomes his throne so we know what we do this is why we do it number two the second thing that we always do here at the bridge is we preach and teach god's word we preach we teach god's word and i want to talk about this for just a few minutes and i'm going to i'm going to move fast i'm going to cover this uh, bridge youth i'm so glad you guys are in here today because you're going to understand some of you thought for a long time well why do they do it that way we're going to explain to you why today. Why do we teach and why do we preach God's word? As, as I begin to address this topic, I, I felt this, this morning there are a couple things I need to talk about. Number one, a few weeks ago I shared a message about Mary and Martha, the two sisters who had a conflict. Because Martha was the busy bee who needed to work all the time. Mary was the one who just wanted to sit at Jesus' feet. They had this conflict. Out of that message, I, I talked about balancing our lives. And one of the things I talked about is every one of us needs to spend time at the feet of Jesus, hearing his word and honoring him. I need it. You need it. We need to spend time at Jesus' feet. But the other part of this I want to get to, and I, I'm going to do this real quickly. Ephesians, Paul wrote to the church and he shared this principle in Ephesians 4. He talked about the fact that in order to build strong, mature people, that God put gifts in the church. It literally says Jesus received gifts from the Father to give to men, to give to the church. And the gifts are called in Scripture apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. The titles aren't all that important, but the functions are extremely important. Now, some people lump pastor and teacher together and call them four gifts. I don't care if you call them four or five. It doesn't matter. But here's what I want you to see. God chooses people like me. And he puts his Holy Spirit upon us and gifts us to understand and communicate his word. I have people every now and then who say to me, wow, 
you know, I've listened to you for a couple weeks and I really enjoy the way you deliver. You make things so simple and so clear. I know some of you may not agree with that. That's okay. Some people like me, okay? But, but they'll say, how did you learn to do that? And you know what I tell them? I don't know. God just puts something on me and it just comes naturally to me. Because it's a gifting. And I don't want to overdo this. Please don't take this to extreme and get goofy. But people like me are a gift to the church. And what, and what Paul wrote in Ephesians 4 was, he said God puts these gifts in the church and the reason he does it is to stabilize people and make them strong in the faith so they don't get blown off course with goofy ideas of people. So when I'm up here on Sunday morning or when Zach's up here or Ann's up here or whoever's teaching that Sunday, even Pastor Corey. Where's Pastor Corey? Stupid ripped jeans on his kneecaps sticking through, sitting right on the front row. I can't believe it. You know how these youth guys are. God, you just pray for them. You know, I've I prayed and prayed. I don't know what else to do. Anyway. Even Pastor Corey, when he's up here preaching, you say, wow, that was really good. It's not because we're smart and great. It's because God has put something on our lives to do this. And, and, and if you're not gifted to do it, don't do it. Don't try to be something you're not. But, but here's the point I want to make to you. God puts us in the church to teach his word to people so it becomes clear. And they learn how to apply it to their lives. And they learn how to follow the Lord and build the kind of life that God wants us to live. And here's what happens when we teach God's word. I want you to hear this. Four things real quickly. When you're teaching God's word, the Bible, God's word, records God's thoughts. Isaiah 55, God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. God says, my thoughts are up here, yours are down here. But in his word, God reveals some of his thoughts to us. The thoughts of how we can walk with God, how we can know God, how we can please Him, what He wants from our lives, what He wants to do in our lives. God gives us His thoughts in His Word. And sometimes to hear someone stand up under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and share some of that with you, the light bulbs come on and you realize, wow, this is what I needed to understand. This is why I want you to be in church every Sunday morning. Not because it's me, but because it's God speaking to you through a human vessel. You can learn the thoughts of God. In this lifetime, we will never know all the thoughts of God, but we can learn the ones that are important for us in this life. A second thing is, Psalms 119 says that God's word is a lamp unto our feet, it's a light unto our path. God's word is instruction and direction for everyday living. If you want to know how to live your life, hear good teaching. Get into God's word, study God's word. That teaching will give you direction. A third reason 1 Peter chapter 2 says that God's word, just like milk to a newborn baby, causes us to grow spiritually. You can't grow spiritually without God's word. It's spiritual nourishment. That's why the, the Old Testament said it. Jesus referred to it. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We need spiritual growth, and spiritual growth only comes from the word of God. And, and then the fourth thing, God's word contains the promises of God. The promises that bring amazing answers into our lives. The promises are found there. And if you don't hear the promises and know the promises, if you're not taught the promises and how to walk into those promises, you'll never experience all that God wants you to have. So please understand, we teach God's word not just to spend 20 or 30 minutes of a Sunday morning. 
No. We teach God's word because it changes our lives and develops the nature of Jesus in us. That's why we teach God's word. Number three, a third thing we do every Sunday is we give. At some point in time in the service, sometimes in the middle, sometimes at the end, today it's at the end, we give you an opportunity to give to the Lord. Now, here's, here's how you will experience this. When it's time to give, someone will walk up here, and all of a sudden on the screen, it shows you four ways that you can give at the Bridge Church. Okay? Again, the what, everybody knows that already. You know how you give, which one of those ways you give. But here's what I want you to notice. There's a reason why we give to God. As a matter of fact, there are several reasons why we give to God. In 1 Corinthians 16, Paul writes to the church and says, On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. He was talking about the fact he was going to receive a special offering for a church that was in desperate need. And he said, rather than me coming and try to talk you into this, on the first day of the week, you need to set aside as you've been blessed and prospered. You need to give. Today, I'm not going to talk about all the principles of giving because I don't have time. Back at the first of the year, I think it was during February, I spent a few Sundays talking about generosity, a season of generosity. You can go back on our website and you can watch those messages. It talks about why we give and how to give. But here's what I want you to notice. When we have that time in our service where we give you an opportunity to give, there are three main reasons why I give. Number one, I give out of obedience because God's asked me to. I can go back and teach it from cover to cover throughout the Bible, talking about giving, the principles of tithing, the principles of giving offerings. I can teach that to you. I can walk you through it. All the way back to Cain and Abel, I can show you what God has asked of us. God asks me to give. Therefore, I give in obedience to God, number one, because he's asked me to give. But number two, I give to God to express my gratitude for his goodness and his faithfulness in my life. I give to God not just because he asked me to and I have to, I give to God because I want to. Because God's been good to me. Can anybody lift a hand this morning and say, boy, God's been good to me. God's been good to me. See, I give, yes, out of obedience, but I give, yes, in appreciation. You see, I give out of a happy heart and a willing heart because I'm thanking God for his provision in my life. And really what our giving is, it's taking the first part of what God gives us, give that first part back to him in thanksgiving, in obedience, and then we watch God begin to bless every area of our lives. I did extensive teaching. Go back online and check it out. But the third reason I give, I also give because every time I give, I am planting seed in my future I'm planting seed in my future I give in faith I believe that when I give to God he's going to bless my life the way he's promised in his word I can walk you through the entire Bible show you scripture after scripture after scripture where God says come and give and I will bless your life I give because God's promised to bless me every time I give I'm investing in my future so it's not just a what to it there's a why behind our giving. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is writing about giving in chapter 8 and over into chapter 9. 
And here's what he says in that passage of scripture. He says, many of you are caught up with this idea of you, this law about you got to give, you got to give, you got to give. Paul said, no, no, you're thinking wrongly because the truth is there is a grace of giving. There's a grace that God pours into our lives when we start giving, that we enjoy giving. We're honored to be able to give back to God. We're honored to give to God for a lot of reasons. We need to learn that grace of giving. I don't have to give, but then I begin to want to give. My giving is an expression of my obedience, my gratitude, and my faith towards God. So I encourage you, go back and check out those messages and it explains giving even more. Number four, a fourth what that we do here at the bridge is we pray for people. Every Sunday we pray for people. Now, occasionally we will set aside a Sunday where we have people come forward with needs. Every now and then. We don't do it every week. But every now and then we do that. But yet every Sunday, we pray for people with needs. We do it according to Scripture. Let me explain it, explain it to you. After every service on Sunday morning, we have prayer teams, people who are trained to come and pray with you. They're available at the front of the building every Sunday morning. And there's a reason why we do that. Get the Scriptures on the screen. I want to walk through this with you because I want you to understand this. James chapter number 5 Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? It's a question. Is anyone among you sick? It seems to me that James realizes in a group this size, in a crowd this size, there may be someone here fighting sickness or fighting disease. You get a physical problem, you need healing. He doesn't get into all the reasons why this might have happened or that might have happened. He simply asks the question, is anyone among you sick? What should you do? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. He said, here's what you want to do. Have people designated to pray for these people. Now, some churches get all caught up in the word elders because they use it as a title. We don't use it here as a title. We use it as a function. I handpick, I choose people who are people of faith, who know how to pray, who are good with people to meet with people and pray after service. They're handpicked people. They serve as elders in this sense. And on Sunday morning when church is over, service comes to an end, you can come down here and choose whichever people you want to pray for you. Go up and share your need. Those people will pray with you. And here's the amazing thing. When people of faith pray, God answers prayer. And look at the next verse, verse number 15. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. Two things here. There's a prayer of faith so when I choose people to pray, I choose people of faith, people who know God answers prayer, people who believe God's going to answer your prayer and meet your need. I ask them to pray with you because the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. When we pray prayers of faith, God answers those prayers and meets those needs. And it goes on to say, and if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. The point in this is every Sunday morning we pray for people. And I'm going to tell you something. I constantly, continually hear stories of healings, of people who are having needs met miraculously. I even hear stories of these people praying with people, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit will drop a word into them and begin to share God's word for that moment, and miraculous things happen. They get wisdom and direction. Great things happen. Why? Because we honor God's word and do what he asks us to do when people have needs. I want to tell you today, 
If you're here and you've got a need, if you're here any Sunday and you've got a need, when service is over, come forward and let someone pray with you. They will pray a prayer of faith and God will answer that prayer and meet your need. I promise you. Why? Because God said he would do it. It's not on Pastor Gary. Now, little disclaimer here, because some people really get confused about this. God did not assign that ministry just for pastors. I've been in churches where the people think, well, if I can get the pastor to pray for me, I'll get healed. I don't, I'm not going to go to those prayer teams. That's not the pastor. I want the pastor to pray for me. You ever met anybody like that? Come on, elbow your spouse if they're one of them. It's okay. Okay, just don't point them out. Don't raise your hand and say, here, don't do that. I want to show you something. Scripture does not give us that formula. It doesn't say let the leader of the church, the local church, pray a prayer of faith. It says designate people of faith to pray prayers of faith. Pastor's not going to heal you. If anybody heals you, it would be Jesus and the power of Jesus. What you need is somebody who knows how to pray a prayer of faith. So don't come expecting Pastor Gary to be the miracle man. Come do what God said to do and let God answer those prayers in your life. Amen? Good. That's, that's pretty good stuff. Number five. Last thing. We're almost finished. The fifth thing that we do here every Sunday morning is we give an invitation for people to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior and as the Lord of their lives. Every Sunday morning we do that. Now, in concluding this message, I want to talk to you about this because it's really important today. And I want you to hear my heart. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you've got a Bible and you want to go ahead and go there in advance. I think in the last 10 years, you know, 1st of October, Ann and I will have been to pastors here 10 years now. It's almost, it's almost here. In 10 years, I don't think there have been two or three Sunday mornings where we didn't give a very clear, distinct invitation for people to receive Jesus. We always do it. And what happens is, we get to the end of the service and I say, bow your heads, close your eyes. Some people are like, oh, I do this every Sunday morning. Why? Why do we do that every Sunday morning? Why do we do it every service every Sunday morning? I'm going to show you why. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at verse 17. These scriptures are our vision scriptures. These are the scriptures that guide everything we do at this church. Verse 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. How many people can raise a hand and say, since I've been walking with Jesus, he has changed my life. I'm a new creature. All right? Amen. We're on board with that one. That's what happens when we walk with Jesus. He changes us. But notice the next verse. Verse 18 says, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Now, keep keep that verse up and stop here in just a moment. It says, God is at work, and it is God who reconciles us to himself through Jesus. Here's what that verse simply means in in really simple English. To reconcile means to balance the accounts, to settle the accounts. There was a time in my life and a time in your life when the account was a mess. There was a lot of sin. There was a lot of debauchery. There was stuff that had separated us from God. 
But when we opened our heart to Jesus and we accepted his sacrifice on the cross, God washed away those sins. And the blood of Jesus that washed away those sins settled that account and it reconciled that account so we could come into relationship with God, not be afraid of him, not be driven away by our sins, but suddenly we're in relationship with one of the children of God. That's what it means to be reconciled to God, to come into right standing and relationship with him. But then the second half of the verse says, and... God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus came to earth to be the bridge between God and man. To get into the gulf that sin had created and cancel out that sin and pay for that sin and pull God and man together. That's what Jesus came to earth to do. He went to the cross to pay for our sins to close that gulf. He satisfied the judgment of God on the cross to close that gulf and bring God and man together so that anyone who would accept his sacrifice could have that gulf closed and suddenly we could know God for ourselves and become the children of God. But then it says, when Jesus finished his work here and went back to the Father, he left us, believers, the church. He gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. He said, here, I've been the bridge, now you take me, you become the bridge, you take me to the world and help reconcile people to God. That's our mission. Connecting people with God and connecting people with people. Notice what it says next in verse 19. That is, explanation, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and he has committed to us the word or the message of reconciliation. In other words, Jesus said, your sins will no longer stand between you and God. Your sins can be forgiven. And he said, now you go tell every man. You go tell the world. They don't have to die in their sins. They can have their sins washed away. That's the message. That's the good news. That's the gospel. And there's one more verse. Verse number 20. Now then, we are ambassadors, which means we are legal governmental representatives. We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us, pleading, begging the world through us. We encourage you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Every Sunday morning when I close my message, there's a thread in my message that ties in to this passage of scripture. And I will plead with people, not in a begging, emotional, sentimental way, but I will plead with people with all common sense. I will plead with people, don't die in your sins. Jesus died for you. Believe in him and be reconciled to God. Every Sunday morning, that's why we do it. One more verse, verse 21. Maybe you're sitting here today and you think, well, you don't know my life. You don't know my mistakes. You don't know all that I've done. Here's what God says to that. He made him, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You're here today and you say, yeah, but you don't know all the greatness of my sins. You don't know all I've done. I don't know all you've done, but I know one thing. When God put his son on the cross 
Everything that we did that was wrong was put on Christ, and he paid the price for it, that God would be satisfied, that if we would believe on that sacrifice, our sins would be washed away, and we could become the children of God. The price has been paid. You and I could never pay it except through death. Jesus paid it. He died, and now he offers us life eternal. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 say that we accept that gift through prayer of faith. We confess with our mouths the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in our hearts God raised him from the dead, and the promise is you will be saved. That's why I give the invitation. That's why I lead people into prayer every Sunday morning. It's not ritualism. Some of you have sat through it for so many years you've lost the heart of it. There's a heart behind this. There's a why behind what we do. I plead with people, accept the Savior. It's my job to share the message. It's God's job by His Spirit to knock on your heart. Then it becomes your responsibility to say yes and open your heart to Him. Let Him begin to change you from the inside out. Two things, it's accepting the Savior. And then it's allowing him, number two, to become the Lord of your life and learning his ways. That's what brings us to salvation. Why, why, why would Gary do this every Sunday morning? Twice on Sunday, why would I do that? Here's why. When this life ends, I stand before God and give an account for my life. You will too. Hebrews is pretty clear about it. It's a point under man wants to die and then the judgment. When this life ends, you will answer to God for one thing. What did you do with Jesus? Did you accept his sacrifice? Or did you reject it? Did you say yes or did you say no? The hard truth is, and I'm almost finished, so stay with me. The hard truth is, you don't make your decision when you stand before God. Your decision is made when you leave this life. You have no opportunity to change your mind. What did you do with Jesus? I'm a Bible believer. I read this book from cover to cover. There's a message that's clear. When this life is over... When I take my next, my last breath, breath here and I step into eternity, I step into eternity, I'm going to one of two places. I'm going to heaven and spend eternity with Christ. I'm going to rule and reign with him forever. Or I step into a devil's hell where I live in torment through eternity. That's what the Bible teaches. There are a lot of philosophies of men about this. Philosophies of men don't mean anything. When I stand before God, I don't make the rules. God makes the rules. That's why he's given us his thoughts in this book, so we know how to prepare ourselves for eternity. Heaven and hell, it's decided before I leave this life. The Bible teaches there is only one way to heaven, only one way into eternal life. That's through Jesus. It's become very popular today in media, news outlets, movies, whatever it might be. People say all religions are the same. They all lead to God. Just follow the one you want to lead. The Bible does not teach you that. The Bible says there is one way to God. It's through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There's no other way. 
Any religion that does not teach that is a lie of the devil that's deceiving people, sending them to hell for eternity. Jesus is the only way to eternal life. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us are guilty and deserve death. But Romans 6.23 says that God has given this gift of life. But we have to receive it. Hell, if you read scripture, hell was created for one purpose. It was a place of torment for Satan and his followers. You're here today and you hear this message. When your life is over, if you go to hell, it's not because you sinned. You go to hell because you rejected Jesus. Some people say, well, how could God send someone to hell? If God is love, how could he send someone to hell? I'll tell you, God doesn't send anybody to hell. People choose to go to hell. God sent his son to be the bridge, to be the lifeboat, to get you out of hell. And if you say, no, I'll find another way, there is no other way. Jesus is the only way. He's the only way. Having said all that, Sunday mornings at the end of our service or at the end of the message, I always share the plan of salvation and I pray with people and I give everyone here a chance to open your heart and ask God into your life to begin that process of change. People say, why do you do that? Here's why. I don't want that person sitting on your road three seats down. I don't want that person next to you. I don't want that person two rows in front of you or the one in the top row up there or the one in the front row down here. I don't want one person going to hell. I want them to know God gave his son to get you out of that place. Open your heart and receive him. This is why we do this. Now please, for the rest of my message, I know that there's a lot of people who totally get it in your agreement, but I want you to just listen to me. Let me finish. On Sunday mornings, when I'm giving an invitation and people are choosing where they're going to spend eternity, you never know when the person sitting on your row, this is their last Sunday in church, this is their last opportunity before they stand before God. And when I'm giving an invitation and people jump up all over the building, start walking out like it doesn't matter, my heart breaks. Because friend, I'm going to tell you something. Your lunch appointment, what you're doing this afternoon, the football or baseball game on TV, that's going to be here today and gone tomorrow. But eternity is forever and ever and ever. And when we're playing with people's eternal destination, we cannot play church. It's serious. I get... Well, you're getting old and cranky. I'm not getting old. I've always been cranky about this. <laughs> when I'm trying to get people out of the boat going to hell and get them in the train going to heaven, I don't want distractions in the building. I don't want anybody thinking, well, this is not a big deal. This is the most important thing that happens in church and in life where people are going to choose to spend eternity. Friend, God loves you. God loves you so much, he saw through all the failure and all the sin, and he said, I see something in you of value. I see something of myself in you, and I'll give my own son to pay for your sins. All you've got to do is accept his sacrifice and believe me and walk with me, and you will spend eternity with me. That's the message. That's why we do what we do. I'm going to ask every head to be bowed, every eye to be closed. I want to lead you in a simple prayer and give people in this place a chance to open your heart to Jesus. Everybody here, pray this prayer with me. Say, God, I need you. 
and I open my heart to you. I need a Savior. Please forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me today. I believe Jesus is your son. I accept him as my Savior. Teach me your ways. Become the Lord of my life. I will follow you from this day forward. You'll be my father. I'll be your child. Thank you for receiving me. Amen. Beginning the journey is just that simple. It's just that simple. Now, here's the other part of it. When service is over in a few minutes, if you prayed that prayer for the first time or maybe you've been the prodigal on the run, I, I, I want to give you a copy of a little booklet. It's a little tool called The Next Seven Days. It's just simple reading. We give this away every Sunday morning. You want to know why? It's because we don't want to pray a prayer with you and leave you alone. We want to give this to you to help you start building a relationship with God. It's just simple information. It goes right to your heart. Teaches you how to begin to walk with God. I want to give this to you. When we're finished in a few minutes, you can come forward to one of the prayer teams. They have these booklets. Just walk up and say, can I get the book? They'll give it to you. If you want to just get it and go, that's fine. No strings attached. If you've got questions, they can answer questions. If you want prayer for something else, they'll pray with you. But please, let us give this to you today. If you're in a really big rush, just before you leave the lobby, right in the middle section there of the doors, there's a counter set up there with a big sign that talks about beginning your walk with God. You can go to that table Get the same booklet there. Just walk up and say, can I get the booklet? They'll give it to you there. Again, no strings attached. We simply want to help you get started walking with God. Hey, thank you for your patience and your love today. And I've been about, I'm about five minutes long. How many of you will give me four minutes? Just hold one minute against me, okay? Hey, can we welcome people into God's family? God bless you.